And many, many people wrote to me, along with many people in the world who are grieving and have fear that has gripped our hearts with the death of the Honorable Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice. I dropped this rock for her, and I'm going to read part of this poem by Maya Angelou in her honor. Please listen with reverence. When great trees fall, rocks on distant hills shudder, lions hunker down in tall grasses and even elephants lumber after safety. When great trees fall in forests, small things recall into silence, their senses eroded beyond fear. When great souls die, the air around us becomes light, rare, sterile. We breathe briefly, our eyes briefly see with a hurtful clarity. Great souls die, and our reality bound to them takes leave of us. Our minds, formed and informed by their radiance, fall away. We are not so much maddened as reduced to the unutterable ignorance of dark, cold caves. And when great souls die, after a period of peace blooms, slowly and always irregularly, spaces fill with a kind of soothing electric vibration. Our senses, restored never to be the same, whisper to us, they existed. They existed. We can be. Be and be better. For they existed. We are blessed by the work and the life of RBJ and what she did in the world. And I add this one last stone. For all those joys you hold in your heart and sorrows too great to bear. There is a love holding me. There is a love holding all that I love. There is a love holding all I rest in this love. time of meditation together now. In a world filled with brokenness and sorrow, it would be easy to lose ourselves 
in never-ending grief, to be choked by our outrage, to be paralyzed by the enormity of our suffering, to feel our hearts squeezed tight with hopelessness. Instead, this morning, let us simply breathe together as we hold our hearts open. I invite you to feel the weight of your body in the chair that you are in this morning. Notice where your muscles might be tight, in your back or in your jaw, in your shoulders, in your hands, and let that go. Let that tension be released from your body. Rest your eyes. Rest your mind, and we will just spend some time breathing in and out with intention. Breathing in as our hearts fill with compassion. Breathing out as we pray for healing in our world and in our lives. Breathing in opening ourselves to the transforming power of love and breathing out as we pray for peace in our world and in our lives. Breathing in as we hold on to hope in our hearts. Breathing out as we pray for justice in our world and in our lives. May we know our strength. May we be filled with courage. May our love flow from us into this world. Breathing in, we are the prayer. Breathing out, we are the healing. Breathing in, We are the love, breathing out. We are the peace, breathing in. We are the hope, breathing out. We are the justice. May we know our strength. May we be filled with courage. May our love flow from us into this world. Blessed be. So some years ago when I was looking for a house to raise my family in, each of us in the family had something else that we felt was important to us, that we were wanted in a new place. Sam, my son, wanted a basketball hoop. Cody, my daughter, wanted an indoor staircase. I wanted a private outdoor space. And Clark really wanted a storage shed. And so after going through house after house, all of you have done this, right? It was you look for that perfect house to move into. We finally found one that we all agreed on. And then we called for our house inspector. I met with the house inspector who took me into the space below the house. And this was not exactly a crawl space, 
Um, but we couldn't stand erect in that space either. And then he took out his light and he shone it around on the foundations of the house. And what we saw in the north wall was in the wall was an enormous boulder that was came right through the walls of the house and right through the foundation and actually extended more than three feet into one of our lower bedrooms. The other walls all looked fine. They were on a solid foundation. But as we looked, we realized that there were all these cross beams and underneath them they had these jacks that were rigged up like pushed up on some boulders and then they had some plywood wedged into the top of them trying to raise the level of the house just even enough to make the beams evenly supported it was what we in the handyman business call a cob job the foundation of our new house was not sound and any sort of earthquake could bring that house crashing down at any time. So as we spend the next year thinking about North Lake UU Church, our house of belonging, we're going to explore all of the complexities of building a house, just like Chai did, building without foundation. The foundation is actually the most essential part of a house. But once your house is built, you may never look at the foundation again. But if it isn't sound and solid to begin with, then none of the rest of your home is going to be sound. Eventually the walls will sag and they'll crack, the doors won't shut, the windows won't open, and the roof can come crashing down. Our Unitarian Universalist Church rests on our theology and our ancestry. And today I'm going to talk about our foundational theological understandings. And to put this in simple terms, our Unitarian theology is of our head and our universal theology is of our hearts. So Unitarians and Universalists both began in Europe, but changed quite a bit once on the United States soil as they reacted to the conservative Calvinist doctrine that was so popular at the time. In Europe, Unitarianism was primarily known for its declaration of the unity of God, rejecting the concept of the Trinity, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the US, there were three main issues that separated Unitarians from other Christian denominations, beginning with the same understanding of the unity of God. But in addition, American Unitarians came to understand human nature differently, embracing the doctrine that humans created in the image of God. In other words, humans at heart are good, and we each carry within us a spark of the divine. And this leads to the third issue that distinguished Unitarians, the place of reason in religion. In a radical departure from the other denominations, Unitarians argued that human reason must be applied to religious understanding and no authoritarians can decide what individuals must believe. So the Bible, for instance, is to be read like any other piece of literature written by people instead of as divine and infallible literature. And as our knowledge of the world expands and transforms our way of understanding, our ways of thinking of God, of truth, of human nature must also evolve and expand. Unitarians came out of the same intellectual tradition that spawned the American Revolution 
and the values of equity and religious freedoms. Harvard and Tufts universities were created by Unitarian intellectuals, and our thought has been influenced time and time again by the philosophy of the transcendentalists, such as Emerson and Thoreau, by the scientific revolution that was galvanized by Darwin, by such schools of thought such as humanist philosophy and process theology. In other words, we have a very heady religion that has intellectual rigor. So these three primary diversions from traditional Christian church led Unitarians toward intellectualism and a scholarly religion, a theology of the head, if you will. Universalism also came from Europe and transformed in this country in reaction to the grim doctrines of the 18th century Calvinist Puritanism. It is important to comprehend just how these early doctrines of Puritanism set the foundation for our civic understanding of humans born in original sin and of a God who is angry, punitive, and judgmental. It is this understanding that continues to underline the corrosive way that so many Americans act in the world as it is today, and it is the foundation of the beliefs of fundamentalist Christians of current times. In direct contradiction to puritanical theology, universalists argued that the essential qualities of God are goodness and mercy and love. The good news of universalism is that God loves us and would do all that is possible to embrace us. And ultimately, all of us will be saved since each of us is a child of God. Our universalist forebearers had a deep and compassionate conviction of the basic, deep down, unquestionable good, goodness of creation and of human society. Universalism is all about the heart. It is how we come to see the spark of something divine, something holy in each being, each person. And that transforms us to being embracing, inclusive, and a desire, feelings of tenderness and compassion toward each other. So I love this theology of the head and of the heart. I find it so appealing. I can come to a religious home where I don't have to suspend reason when I listen to what's being taught. I appreciate the fact that there's no creed, no list of things that I must ascribe to, no list that someone else decided was essential to my beliefs. In fact, I find a liberation in the recognition that my beliefs change over time as I learn more about the nature of the universe and more about human nature. It honors my reason and my intellect. And there is a danger in being a theology of the head, of being too reliant on intellect. One risk is that we can step in into an, an imperial stance. By this, I mean that we can easily assume our reason and logic gives us insight that others don't have. Sometimes our intellectual scrutiny, our insistence on being reasonable can diminish others. It can create an implicit superiority. And it may also mean we get stuck in our head 
forgetting we have other ways of knowing. And so balance, a balance of our intellectual theology with our heart theology is essential. Theodore Parker, who was an early Unitarian minister, declared that the core of our faith can be found in the first commandment of the Hebrew Bible. This is the command that we are called to love God with all our heart, all our souls and all our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. So this is no longer the language that many of us are comfortable with. We don't use it anymore. But I believe the first part of this is a call to each of us that we are to discover and love the divine, the sacred, with all our heart, mind, and soul. We are to find that which calls us beyond ourselves. Even if we don't personally find the concept of God useful, the concept that we must find something of ultimate worth to base our life on is true for all. And the second half of this commandment, love our neighbors as we love ourselves, that reflects how we want to act in this world. We want to act with justice and with compassion. How we are, what we do, who we are in the world, that is far more important than what we believe. We are called to constantly move into relationship with those around us. If a neighbor needs a hand, we lend one. If a mouth needs food, we share what we have. If a captive needs release, we strive to release them from behind the bars. If a stranger needs welcome, we open our doors and bring them inside. And harder, especially these days. If a person is attacked, we move in to protect or to heal them. If a neighbor expresses themselves with anger and threats, we move closer to listen and to witness. How we move into heart theology is hard and it is risky and it often goes against our very inclinations. This theology of heart and head sounds simple and obvious initially, but a history of living into this theology leads us to profound understanding and disturbing expectations of how we live. But this foundation, this theology is foundational to how we live with each other, live with the world, and how we move into building beloved community. Blessed babe. We shall be known by the company we keep, by the ones who circle round attend these fires. We shall be known by the ones who sow and reap the seeds of change alive from deep within the earth. It is time now, it is time now that we thrive. It is time we lead ourselves into the well. It is time now, and what a time to be alive. In this great turning, we shall learn to lead in love. In this great turning, we shall learn to lead in love. 
It is time now. It is time now that we thrive. It is time we lead ourselves into the well. It is time now. And what a time to be alive. In this great turning we shall learn to lead in love. In this great turning we shall learn to lead in love.